Today we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts. And today, as we continue our study in the book of Acts, God is going to lead us, God is going to grow us, and God is going to instruct us as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, that is the awesome thing about God's Word. It is living, it is active, it is powerful. Why? Because it is the voice of God. It is the Word of God. And God is going to speak to us this morning through His Word. Today, what is the greatest thing that we can do, that we could do, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. What is the single greatest thing? If you were to do one thing, what is the single greatest thing that we can do as followers of Jesus Christ? If we are to stand, if we're ever going to make it as followers of Christ, if we're going to lead others to Jesus, if we're going to reach a lost world for Christ, And if we are going to live lives that are joyful to us and pleasing to God, understand that's the goal, that they would be joyful to us and pleasing to God, what is the single greatest thing that we can do? Friends, the single greatest thing, the single thing that we can do, that I can do, that you can do, is to spend time in God's Word to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to know the Word of God. I think sometimes we lose sight of that. What a blessing we have, what a resource we have in the Word of God, our Bibles. I want to tell you the greatest thing that you could do that will pay the greatest dividend as a believer is spend time in the Word of God. Well, today we're going to see the role of Scripture in our lives, and more than that, in the life of the church. Today our message is entitled, Holy Scripture, Holy Scripture. We're in Acts chapter 17. Today we're going to go verses 1 through 9. Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, Holy Scripture. I'll ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. God's word says this, Acts chapter 17, beginning in the first verse. Now when they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the Greek God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason They were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. 
they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for the good news of the gospel of Christ. That though we have sinned, that you have pardoned and you have mercy. Lord, that you call us to come home and in grace and kindness, you forgive us, you restore us, you renew us. Lord, I pray the good news of the gospel, first off, that, would, that it, would, it would be received by each of us. And then I pray that it would be proclaimed by each of us. And I pray that the result of our fellowship is the good news of a Savior that is gracious and kind will be known. Lord, I pray that you're glorified today. I pray that you're known today. I pray now as we begin to study these nine verses, I pray that you would speak, that you would lead, and I pray it would truly be a supernatural event as you speak in your living and active and powerful word. Lord, we give this time to you. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. And I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we begin back this morning, as we start back here in the 17th chapter, I want you to see something. I want you to get a, a picture of something as we start to move forward this morning. See this in Acts, as the church is forming. Now, I want you to think about the previous chapters, the previous events. As the church is forming and as the church is growing, what was needed was the declaration of the word of God. Now, that's what we see here. In all of these places, what was missing was the word of God. What they did not have was the word of God. And so what was needed in Antioch and Derby and Lystra, what was needed in Philippi and what was needed in Thessalonica was the word of God. And so as Paul and those that are with him deliver the word of God, as they declare the word of God, notice people are saved. Notice lives are changed. Notice the church takes hold and the church grows. Well, now it is 2,000 years later, and you know what the great need is today? It is 2,000 years later, and sadly, what is missing today is the same thing. It is the Word of God. Let me be very clear with you this morning. Do you know what Vernon needs do you know what Dallas needs, what Houston needs? For sure, what Austin and what Washington, D.C. need? It is the word of God. It is the same need today as they were forming and moving out then. It was the need of the word of God. Today, it is the same need. It is the word of God. Friends, let me tell you this morning, if people are gonna get saved if lives are going to change, if the church is going to take hold and then take off and grow, it will be upon declaring the word of God. So today as we begin, we're going to see some things about the scripture and its role in the church, in the lives of believers. The first thing we see this morning is the role of scripture in that process. Now, 
Last week, I want you to think about this. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke are in Philippi. Uh, In a miraculous event, it was the message of last week, uh, the jailer, and not only the jailer, but the entire family of the jailer are saved. The city leaders want this group to leave town. They want them to get out of town. And on the way out of town, it says they stop and they encourage the church that meets in the house of Lydia. Let me, let me look at verse 40 from last week, chapter 16. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, the believers, the Christians, they encouraged them and departed. All right, that brings us to our verse today, chapter 17, verse 1. All right, here we go. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, all right, in the first verse, I want you to notice this. From Philippi to Amphipolis, let me say it from up here. Amphipolis, it looks different in my notes. Amphipolis, from Philippi to Amphipolis, it was 30 miles. It was a 30-mile journey. From Amphipolis to Apollonia, it was 35 miles. From Apollonia to Thessalonica, it was 40 miles. Now, I was thinking about that. It's 30 miles, and it's 35 miles, and it's 40 miles, and then they end up in Thessalonica. Now, I was thinking about the entire process of that, and I want us to see this already this morning. I want us to catch this. The spread of the gospel and the growth of the church was moved along in the costly, consistent grind of proclaiming God's word. How does the church grow? How are people saved? The church grows and the movement spreads in the costly, consistent grind of the proclaiming of the word of God. We need to be aware of that. It wasn't this big flash. Sometimes we say, well, in Acts at the first chapter, there's not the church. And at the last chapter, the movement is spread across all of the known world. It wasn't in a big flash. It wasn't a quick movement. It wasn't one or a couple of big, giant events. No, it was this costly, consistent grind. And that's what we're seeing. And we're seeing it again already in this first verse. They proclaim the good news here. And they preach here. And they are beaten here. And they are run out of town here. And they're jailed here. And it's 50 miles to here. And it's 30 miles to here. And it's 100 miles, 200 miles to here. And we see the gospel spreads in a struggle. The gospel spreads in a resilient effort, and it is in the costly, consistent grind of the proclamation of the word of God that God works. Friends, I want to tell you this. That pattern has never changed. That pattern still holds true, and it is in the sowing that one day there will be reaping. It is in tears that in one day there will be laughing. It is in work and effort that one day there will be a reward. And it is in the costly, consistent grind of the proclamation of the word of God that the good news spreads. 
That is still the pattern. All right, as we're looking at the role of Scripture, here's our first point. We see the necessity of the Scriptures. The necessity of the Scriptures. We're looking at the role of Scriptures. Now we're going to see the first point, the necessity of the Scriptures. Let's look at verse 2. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them. There was a synagogue of the Jews And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now there in Thessalonica, there was a Jewish synagogue. Now the city, uh, it is the second largest city in Macedonia. It was a popular trade city. It was on a seaport and it had a population of over 200,000 people. At that time, over 200,000 people reside in Thessalonica. It was a large city. Now, it did not have a large Jewish population. Most of them were Gentiles, but it did have a Jewish population. Well, they have a synagogue there in the city, and Paul, the Bible says, he begins, as was his custom, by going to the synagogue. Now, I want to make this point. There are some people that say today and some of them are trying to distort the teachings of Paul, but they say today that Paul gave over the Jews, that he wrote off the Jews, and he was an apostle only to the Gentiles. Well, we see here in this verse, and in fact in a lot of verses, that is not true. His message was for all people, and so therefore his audience was all people. And his pattern, once again, is to start with The Jews. I want you to think about something. Who caused him the most trouble? It's almost always the Jews. Who were the hardest to convince? It's almost always the Jews. Who hated the Christian movement and thus, therefore, Paul the most? Again, it was the Jews. They're the hardest-headed folks. They're the ones set against Christianity. They're the ones that hate Paul. And yet, where does Paul go and start? With the Jews. Here's the truth. We do not give up on anyone. No one is too far gone. No one is beyond the love and the reach of our gracious God. And so if he is faithful, if he is kind, desiring that none should perish, we are to be the same as well. Listen to me. We preach the gospel to all people, not just the ones we like, not just the ones we see in front of us. We are to preach the gospel to all people. He goes to the Jews first. It says he went there first for three Sabbaths. And he reasoned with them. He reasoned with them. The word reasoned in the original language, in the Greek, means to discuss. But the Greek meaning actually means more than that. It means to speak for a conclusion. To speak for a conclusion. Another translation said, to explain an opinion or thought in order to convince. And so it's not just this discussion. It is trying to convince somebody. It is trying to reach a conclusion in the the proclamation of words. The Bible says he reasoned with them 
from the scriptures, from the scriptures. Now that's a big deal. The Greek word for scriptures is graph on, graph on. It literally translates the writings, the writings. For them, it was the Old Testament scriptures. It was the word of God. And so see what happens here. He goes and he finds the ones who were familiar with the word of God, who held the word of God. He goes to the Jews and he spends three Sabbaths, the Bible says, and probably the three weeks in between those Sabbaths as well, reasoning from the scriptures. That's what he does. He doesn't go there and talk about his opinions. He goes there and he opens the scriptures and he reasons. He tries to convince using the scriptures. See this. Today as believers, our source is the word of God. Our message is the word of God. Our truth is the word of God. And so we proclaim and we preach and we defend and we stand on the word of God, our Bibles. That's what we hold to as believers. Our source book, it's the word of God. The message that we have, it's the word of God. So we defend and preach and proclaim and stand upon the very word of God. Now that seems simple, doesn't it? That seems straightforward. I hear that and I go, I agree with that. That seems pretty easy, doesn't it? Folks, listen to me. We are perishing in the church today. Listen to me. We are literally falling apart in the church today. The church is in perilous danger today because people are preaching from the culture. They're preaching from their experiences. They're preaching from absolute nonsense. They're preaching from purchased sermons. They're preaching from the church fathers. They're preaching from everything except the Bible, the word of God. Let me tell you something. We say we need a revival. I'll tell you right now, we need a revival. In the church, we need a revival. In 2021, we need a revival. In America today, we need a revival. Let me tell you something. You know when that will happen? It will happen when people and preachers and pastors pick up and declare the word of God. It'll be a waste of time, but let me just tell you. Go to this afternoon and look on the internet. And you watch what people are preaching today. Go look. You pick your church, you go and you watch what people are preaching today. And you're gonna hear psychology preached. Oh, if you'll do this and if we'll build the ego and this thing and that thing, and you'll hear psychology preached. And you'll hear self-help preached. If you'll do this and you'll help yourself and if you'll put these things in order, your life will get better and you'll hear self-help preached. You'll hear feel-good mismatch. I heard the most ridiculous thing this week. You'll hear just feel-good mismatch, and it's preached. Some conservative churches today, it's growing. You'll hear the church fathers, and they're preached, and they want to talk about Augustine said this, and this person said that, and they preach the church fathers. Friends, be sure today. The words of Martin Luther may have resulted in a reformation, 
But only the words of God Almighty will result in transformation. That's why Paul says, preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. Second Timothy, preach the word. So we see here the necessity of scripture. The necessity of scripture, preach the word. And then we see, stacked to that, tied to that, the message of scripture. The message of scripture. Verse three. I'm going to read verse 2 again and tie it in. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them. And for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the scriptures. Verse 3, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. I want to read verse 3 again. He is explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. Now I want you to understand, the issue of the Jews, most of them, the problems the Jews had with the gospel was that the Christ, the promised Savior from God, that he would be shamed, and worse than that, that he would die. They couldn't get over that. They couldn't believe that. The Christ, the Savior from God that we've been waiting on, that he would be ashamed, that's not possible. That he would be killed, that's not believable. No, for them, the Messiah had to come as a great warrior, a political warrior, a victor, a grand king, and no way would he ever suffer. No way would he be humiliated humiliated, no way would he die. They couldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it. So notice what the verses says. And so Paul and Silas and these others with them, they take the scriptures, they take the word of God, and they show not only did he do that, but he, according to the scriptures, if he is the Messiah, He had to do that. And that's what they do. They take the scriptures and say, not only was he humiliated, not only did he die, but if he is actually the Christ, the Messiah, he had to do that. And I imagine they take Psalm 16 and they turn to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's verse one. And I imagine they take Isaiah chapter 53 but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by his scourging, we are healed. I imagine they take those verses and they remind them, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in death. And they use the scriptures, they explain the scriptures to produce the message of scripture. And the message of scripture is this, that this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. Listen, get this, listen, get this. Why do we have to be dogmatic? Why do we have to stick to the Bible? Why must we fiercely defend the Bible? Why should you flee away from any movement or any church or any preacher that doesn't faithfully, consistently preach the Bible declaring the word of God. 
Listen, it is because the message of the Bible is this Jesus, the one foretold of in Genesis chapter three, the one foreshadowed in the ark of Genesis chapter seven, the one promised in Genesis chapter 15, the one that is described in length in Isaiah 53, the one that is born in Luke chapter two, the one that is crucified in Matthew chapter 27, the one that is risen from the dead in John chapter 20, that that Jesus, it is by that Jesus and his name alone and no other name given among men in Acts chapter four by which we are saved. Listen, the message of scripture is there is salvation alone in Jesus. Jesus is the message of scripture. That is why we preach the Bible. Jesus is the only way to be saved. That's why we defend the Bible. Praise the Lord, he is. So we see the message of scripture is this Jesus is our hope and our savior. That leads us to the last, the next part. The impact of scripture. The impact of scripture. Verse four. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. Some of them were persuaded. Persuaded means to be won over, to believe absolutely, or to have full confidence in. Some of these folks left that event with full confidence. They were won over. They believed absolutely. They used the scriptures to explain the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And in the use of scripture, the preaching of the gospel, it says some of them were won over. Some of them were convinced absolutely they were persuaded. Very simply, people are saved. Not all of them, it says some of them. It says some, talking about the Jews of the city, and also some of the God-fearing Greeks, those are the Gentiles. Also some of the great number of women, so there were men as well. The word of God is expounded, and notice what happens here. Jews are saved, and Gentiles are saved, and men are saved, and women are saved. That's some of everybody. Here's the truth, listen very carefully. People are saved in the proclamation of the word of God. People are saved in the proclamation of the word of God, and you have to hear this side too, and they will not be saved if the word of God is not proclaimed. They will not be saved if the word of God is not proclaimed. That is the formula, that is the truth. The Bible says, how will they believe if they do not hear? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and the hearing the words of Christ. As the church, does the Bible have to be dad gum in the middle of all we do? Does it have to be in the middle of everything we do, dad gum it? Can't we do something 
without the Bible being taught or the Bible being sung or the Bible being referenced or the Bible being held up without the Bible being proclaimed, does every dadgum thing have to be about the Bible? Only if you want it to matter eternally. Only if we want it to exalt Jesus Christ. Only if we want to be different than the world. Listen, the world's got everything else. We've got the message of Jesus. People are saved in the proclamation of the word. That's the mission of the church. If you want a club, if you want a good recreation spot, go somewhere else. The mission of the church is the proclamation of the word of God. Praise the Lord that it is. Praise the Lord that it is. The last piece, kind of doesn't match, kind of unsuspected, but it makes sense. The opposition to the scripture. Man, we find the message of hope in the scripture. We find peace in the scripture. Why in the world will there be opposition to the scripture? The last thing we see is the opposition to the scripture. Verse five. But the Jews... Becoming jealous. I thought about that. I don't know that they didn't understand. They didn't want to understand. They became jealous. And taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. They were, evidently there's a church in this guy Jason's house and they go to his house and they're going to bring, they're going to bring Paul and these out and they're not there. Verse six, when they did not find them, we can't find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the believers, the brethren before the city authorities shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also. Verse seven, and Jason has welcomed them and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying there is another king, Jesus. Verse eight, they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, verse nine. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. Here's what we can see in these verses. Be very sure of this. Satan attacks, the world attacks where the word of God is preached. That's what we see there. That holds true today. Satan attacks, the world attacks. You watch today where the word of God is preached. You see, the word of God has to go. The word of God produces redemption. The word of God glorifies Jesus Christ. You can do anything, but don't preach the word of God. It cannot stand. Sadly, in 2021, churches and people are falling for it. And they're figuring out, you know what, it's just a whole lot easier just to get along and put this aside. It's a whole lot more popular to put this aside and say, you know what, we won't divide along those lines. We won't say from this pulpit, thus saith the Lord. It's a lot easier to get along. We have bigger crowds when we set it aside. Sadly, people are falling for it. Listen, the testimony of scripture is this. We have to preach the word of God. People are saved when we preach the word of God. Jesus is honored, he's glorified in the preaching, the proclaiming of the word of God. And as we do it, the world is opposed to it. We're back where we started. 
And so the gospel is spread and the church grows in the costly, consistent grind of the proclamation of the word of God. Some days I wish it was different. You know what? Some days I wish I could preach this sermon and 300 people get saved. Next week it'd be 600. Some days I wish it wasn't this hard. Some days I wish the world didn't hate it so much. But God has shown us in his word the spread of the gospel is in the costly, consistent grind of the proclamation of the word of God. I want to close by bringing out one last point. I want us to see one thing before we move out of these verses. These haters, these Jews that stirred up those in the Gentile marketplace, they had a lot of things wrong, but they did have one thing right. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also, I went and looked up that word upset. Here's what it translates. Turned upside down. These men who are turning the world upside down have come here also. Wasn't big, wasn't flashy. It might have been four, it might have been 10, it might have been 40, a little at a time. But you know what the preaching of the gospel was doing? It was literally turning the world upside down. You know what the world needs now? It's what it needed then. It desperately needs the good news of the word of God. And if we will proclaim it little by little, grind by grind, the world will be turned upside down. The impact can be the same. These men that have turned the world upside down, they came to Thessalonica to praise the Lord. The point of all that is this. Listen carefully. There is good news. There is good news. I want to tell you, as you sit here this morning, I want you to be sure all of that's about this. There is good news. We have a risen, resurrected Savior in Jesus Christ. The Bible says each of us, we have sinned. I'm not talking about somebody in ancient Thessalonica. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. You've sinned. I've sinned. The Bible says in our sin, we stand guilty. We stand condemned. We're not waiting for a later day to be declared guilty. We're condemned in our sin already. The Bible says because of our sin, we have broken fellowship with a holy God. We know that. We feel that. And I watch around in a lost and hurting world and they think, you know what, if I can get this farm rented, you know what, if I can get this much in my bank account, you know what, if I can get this status, you know what, if I can get my marriage on this level ground, you know what, if my relationships would look like this, you know what, if our trips were all like that, if these things would line up, it's gonna be fine. And the truth is this, there is no peace outside of peace with God. There is no peace outside of Jesus. And I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is this, you can have peace today. The forgiveness of sin today, no matter what you've done, it's offered in Christ today. There is good news. About 60 years before this account, 2,000 something years ago, Jesus comes. He lives a life of no sin. He goes to the cross of Calvary and he takes my sin and your sin the ugly shame, the filth of it, he takes it, he bears it. The Bible says he becomes my sin. He carries it to the cross of Calvary. 
And there he is stretched out, and between two thieves, he dies, taking the anger, the wrath of God for sin poured out upon him. He dies, my death, your death. They pull him off of that cross. They put him in a, in a borrowed grave with, with a rich man. He's in death, he has a rich man's grave. Three days later, listen, not a superstition, not a myth. Actually, physically, literally, historically, he walks out of that grave and he is alive and he stands as the victor, the resurrected reigning king. The defeat of sin and death has occurred. He stands in victory. Here's the good news, friend. The Bible says if you will believe that, if you'll be absolutely convinced of that, if you'll be persuaded of that, if you'll profess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, by faith alone, you today can be saved, forgiven, renewed, restored, right with the holy God. That is the good news. That's why they ground it out. There is good news. Listen today, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, settle it today. You think you're here on some accident? If you're here to hear the word of God. If you haven't settled it today, don't leave here without that peace. Settle it today. Oh, I've heard this a million times. Listen, if you haven't settled it, settle it today. If you're not sure, settle it today. There is good news today. And if you've received that good news, in these days, especially these days, our mission is to proclaim there is still Good news, the Holy Scriptures, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come. And I'm thankful for your word, your truth, your message, because it is the message of life, the message of my redemption. It's the message of my Savior, our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you, if I pray if there's one here and they're stirring with angst, without settled peace in their life and their heart, that today they would turn to Jesus and they're hearing the gospel, they would turn to Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that you're, you're gracious and you're kind, slow to anger and quick to relent. If we'll come to you in faith, that you'll forgive us and restore us. Lord, I pray that you're moving right now. I pray for some here that there wouldn't be a hindrance that would hold them back, not their pride, but today they would leave here with a settled peace. And Lord, I pray the, the, the other side of that, the equal side of that, opposite side of that, it's those here that have peace. That we wouldn't be so dull, we wouldn't be so apathetic that we could let a world walk and stumble all the way to hell without telling them there's good news in Jesus. Help us to be proclaimers, defenders, upholders of the word of God. Lord, we give you this time of response. We give you this time of invitation. We ask that you would move, that you would speak, that you would lead. I pray that you're glorified in it. We give it to you. I trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.